Welcome to the Successful Athletes Podcast, where we interview successful athletes to make you faster. Today, we have a special guest with us, David Curtis. David, do you want to introduce yourself uh, saying where you're from uh, in terms of like where you live now? And then I guess we'll just probably, we're going to talk about Leadville, uh, but in particular, let's just start off with how you got into cycling. So where are you from and how'd you start with it? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Have yeah, to man. Be here, it really is a privilege. So, uh, but yeah, I grew up uh, pretty much in Colorado my whole life. wasn't born here, but uh, grew up here my whole life on the Front Range um, of Colorado, just maybe a couple hours south of Denver. Um, and yeah, that's where I spent the majority of my life. Um, you know, grew up playing different sports and you know, kicking the ball around. Right in maybe a huffy here or there. A mongoose was, you know, if you had a mongoose, that was the bike to have. Never had one, but uh, just rode our bikes around the block and did fun stuff like that. Um, you know, honestly, cycling wasn't even like a thing. Like, I didn't even know what, you know, you could actually race bikes. We just rode bikes around for fun. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, played sports and did all that stuff throughout school and uh i guess after graduating high school i kind of you know i've always loved fitness in general so i you know jumped into the gym and did the same basic routine and never got any stronger you know one of those type of guys and uh you know played some parks and rec softball stuff like that um but never really found like anything i truly loved until probably oh it was 2011 maybe 2012 is when I started doing CrossFit and I love that um I just you know fell in love with doing that as an athlete and as a coach um loved lifting weights and getting stronger and doing all that macho stuff um was that kind of like but, your uh, first intro to structure sorry to interrupt but you mentioned like before going to the gym not seeing like you know not improving that sort of stuff was CrossFit kind of like the first introduction to more structure for you Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was one of those things that taught me so much about like how the human body works, how adaptation takes place, you know, programming structure, all that. That's why I really like fell in love with it because you saw the results and it's still a part of my life today. Um, I still do some strength training and, you know, do some typical CrossFit stuff. Um, but yeah, it really opened my eyes to like understanding how, uh, how all that works. Um, so yeah, I did that for quite a while, but it was probably 20, I don't know, 13, somewhere in there is when I moved to Leadville because of my job, actually. Um, I've always loved the mountains, but uh, when it comes to like um, physical fitness stuff, like everyone up here was either riding bikes or running or hiking and that was pretty much it which i honestly didn't really i liked to hike but like running and cycling just was not my thing at all the idea of being on a bike for hours and miles or running for miles <laughs> just sounded terrible to me like why would anyone want to do that so uh <laughs> i didn't i didn't do any of that at all for the first probably five years it was a small crossfit gym um there here at the time and uh kind of still do a little bit of that um but yeah it was probably oh i'd say summertime of i guess it'd be 2018 when i kind of decided i want to try something different and like the easy answer was to do what everyone else was doing which was <laughs> either running or biking and uh definitely wasn't going to run not yet <laughs> so i went with biking and uh i kind of decided you know what i'm going to sign up for the leadville 100 and just you know give it a go do my best try and get under the 12 hours just one time and then i'll go back to my regular life so uh yeah that's kind of what i decided to do um i think it was yeah it was that same year as when i went out and crewed for a friend of mine um who was writing that year in 2018 and uh it's funny because i was crewing for him at the uh the twin lakes dam 
And I was there around, I don't know, maybe 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. So I was able to see like people still going like outbound and people coming inbound. And like the difference in face and body structure was completely <laughs> different. I mean, people were still, people were still like, you know, happy I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I'm going to finish. And then people going inbound. I mean, they were, they were dragging. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I crewed for a friend of mine there and, uh, watched him suffer going up Columbine and back. And I think it was in that moment when I decided like, okay, I, I truly am going to give this a shot. Just the excitement in the air. Um, yeah. What, I know what, you've done what made race. you, it's, yeah. It's what made you cool. pick it up? Because like a lot of people would see that and be like, oh my gosh, I never want to do that. Cause when they're coming down from Columbine, they look like, you know, they look like they've seen their maker practically because it's such a long, hard climb at such high elevation and they're only halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because my buddy who I was crewing for, we were waiting for him. And I think our ETA was off. We were expecting him at a certain time. He wasn't showing up. We thought maybe he crashed. Like, do we go look for him? Turned out he was just fine. All he did was go up Columbine and back, which is enough <laughs> to kick you in the butt. Um, but uh, I don't know why I decided just to go with that race. I think just because it was in my own backyard. Um, no mm. other reason. Like it's local, you know, I know the people around town um, and it's my, I guess right now anyway, it is my hometown. So uh, yeah, I was just up for the challenge. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, hmm. honestly. Like I just felt like, yeah, I could, I think I could do this. I don't know if I can finish. I wasn't sure at the time. My goal was just to get under the 12 hours. Um, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I just, decided to to start training and and sign up for it and and give it a go so we'll leave like we'll leave that as a cliffhanger because we'll get to to your performance in in a bit here but it's a seriously impressive performance that's why we're having you on this podcast here i want to step back a little bit um first of all what's your family and work situation so people have some context yeah so uh i actually work for the city of Pueblo, like I said, it's a couple hours south of Denver. I work um, in their water department, which is why I live up in Leadville. I take care of a lot of their um, water management um, stuff. I take care of uh, Clear Creek Reservoir, which is just south of Columbine, like 10 minutes south. Run a lot of their ditches and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Pueblo is still kind of my hometown, but Leadville is still kind of my hometown, kind of splitting the two towns, the two communities. Um, but yeah, I am married uh, 11 years. I better get that right. <laughs> yeah, 11 years uh, this past June. Have four kids, all under 10 years old. Ooh. So uh, yeah, my hands are full. All my uh, training I do, at least indoors, is before 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time to get stuff in. So what time do you usually start training in the mornings? Um, so right now I'm doing most of my rides, um, outside, mm -hmm. um, but especially over the winter when I am on the trainer, I try and be up by four I'm on the bike by four 30. I mostly do the high intensity, uh, or high volume plan. So a lot of two hour rides. So I try and be off by six 30 or seven, um, before the kids wake up. There'll be times where I'm on the trainer and I'm digging so deep. I got my head down and my eyes closed, not knowing one of my kids woke up and is standing right next to me. <laughs> and I opened my eyes. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so how did you, that's, that's the thing that a lot of people struggle with is the early morning stuff, even if it's high intensity or not. But first, how did you get used to doing the early morning workouts? Was that part of your routine prior to this? Did you already, were you already an early riser and were you doing CrossFit, for example, early in the morning, or did you have to invent that habit and create it? Yeah, no, I'm not a morning person at all. <laughs> I try to be, and I kind of am now because I forced myself to, but still by nature, not at all. I just did it because, um, like I said, that was the only time to do it. And, um, you know, I'm pretty uh, motivated, I guess, and determined to, to progress and to get my workout. And I don't like skipping workouts. I don't even like skipping 
like the recovery stuff, like, oh, I'm going to get slower if I don't get this recovery right in. So <laughs> I'm pretty diligent on that, that stuff. I'm sure I'm lazy in other areas of life, but uh, when it comes to trading, just got to get it done, I guess. You mentioned that you're pretty motivated. Um, has that been like a characteristic that just like, even when you were a kid, were you motivated uh, to, to be like, you know, the, sort of like the hard work, diligent sort of thing? Or was that something that you found later on? And I guess what does motivate you to do that? Like, why are you doing it all? I, I, I yeah. the belt buckles, the belt buckles cool and all, but I'm sure it was not just because you needed a new belt buckle, right? What, what's yeah. your why yeah. behind it? Um, you know, I think that kind of grows over time. I'm sure I was motivated in some areas, you know, when I was younger, but I, I definitely think that's something that, that grows, you know, the competitiveness has always been there. So, you know, whether I'm doing a CrossFit wad or a bike race or, you know, playing softball with the guys, it's, it, you know, that competitiveness is always there, but as far as the motivation goes, what gets me up, you know, what, what gets me going, I, I, I think that that grows over time. One of the things is my kids, I would say, um, you know, I think being a father changes your perspective on life and I want them to see me, you know, not that I don't want them to see me fail, but because people fail all the time, but, uh, you know, I want them to see, you know, me as a hard worker. I mean, a lot of areas in, in life, not just, you know, being on, on the bike, but but I want them to see that nature in me, you know, um, I, I think especially now more than ever, it's so important to look at, you know, future generations and whatnot. Um, so yeah, my kids, you know, one of them, um, as far as being on the bike, you know, I think honestly, I, I kind of feel like the odd man out at times because, you know, being in a, Colorado mountain town, uh, you, you know, the typical mountain biker is, you know, you know, typical white person and I'm not that person. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that motivation to, to, you know, be respected and, 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 and be, uh, I don't know, um, just be that person that fits in as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, my, my goal isn't to be the, fastest person on the bike or the best mountain biker, but I do want to be the best version um, of myself. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned that, uh, that aspect of it, like, you know, with Colorado mountain towns and, and just mountain towns in general tend to be very, very, they, they tend to be white and they tend to be of like a particular socioeconomic status, right? Like, it's just like, it's very one-sided, I guess is the point. Um, was yeah. that, like, so I, I don't know because I, I grew up, you know, not, I grew up being a, a, a white male in America. So I don't really have this same perspective as you, like I could look up to other people and do that sort of stuff. And I would see people that looked like me or the culture would be familiar to my culture, that sort of thing. Were there any, or do you experience any challenges in that regard? And what I'm really trying to get at is what can we do as all of us to like make the sport as inclusive as possible? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a tough question. I think there's a lot of layers to that, but, you know, personally, I, you know, I don't know if I'd say I feel a ton of pressure. Um, I don't know if that's the right word just because I don't know, I'm not easily offended, you know, my circle of influence around me or people that I ride with all the time, you know, same group of guys that I go to church with, same group of guys that I hang out with on the weekends. So, you know, I don't feel a whole lot of discrimination there, but, you know, there is definitely that, that aspect of diversity, you know, or lack thereof, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a, a black or a brown, I mean, a brown maybe, but definitely not a black person at the starting line of a mountain bike race. Um, shoot, I don't know if I've ever seen another black person on a mountain bike period. Um, mm. So I, I definitely, you know, feel like, the outcast at times and it's definitely a real thing, but, um, I don't know. I think it's important. Let's see. What am I trying to say? I think that, you know, there's definitely is this 
social bias, this stereotype um, within the cycling community and within every facet of life, to be honest. And I honestly believe that both parties, you know, feed into that, um, you know, both, you know, white people and brown people and black people and all alike. I personally have felt like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this because I'm not white. You know, I'm not supposed to mountain bike or, or ski or hunt or hike. Um, but over time, as I started to step outside of those comfort zones, I realized that like I myself is part of that problem too. Does that make sense? So I think it's important, like if I can just be a small part of that change, um, I think that's huge. Like give people the chance to, to uh, respect you, you know, um, because oftentimes they do, you just got to give them that, that, that opportunity. Hmm. But as far as like what the community can do, um, I think that's, that's a bit complex. Um, I, I listened to that podcast last week with the, uh, is it the black foxes? The black the foxes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I really love like their mission statement that something on the lines of, you know, it's not just cycling, but we want to get people of all color outside, you know, um, whether it's hiking or fishing or whatever it is. Um, Cause I can relate to that. I love to bike, but I also love to hunt and I love to fish. I love to do all those things. And if I could somehow, you know, um, be a part in making, uh, you know, a difference in getting people outside people, you know, like myself, um, I think that's key. You know, I think there's ways where we can, you know, simple things like get bikes into the hands of people that are less fortunate, you know, um, whatever that is, used bikes or old bikes or, or whatever. Um, I, I definitely think there are little tangible things that, that can be done. It's just a matter of, you know, taking the necessary steps to, to make that happen. Yeah. Chances are, if we're in a position to be riding our bike, we're in, you know, we're in this position to also help in, in one regard, like you said, whether it's, making access a little bit easier, whether it's being, you know, just inviting to folks or, or so then they, they don't, cause I, I'm sure that that sort of thing is in the back of your head kind of saying that, like, like you said that you felt like an outcast at times that you feel like an outcast at times. And there's no better way to probably dispel that than to make sure everybody feels welcomed, you know, and just as another member of the same exact community that you are. So, uh, yeah, all stuff that we can do for sure. Um, yeah. kind of like dovetailing from that, you had this background where you were like a, a typical kid, you played sports, but you weren't like some sort of like, you know, athletic phenom certainly was, you weren't big into endurance sports. So let's get into like when you first started riding where your benchmark was, uh, you told me this story about what, like where you went riding once you got your bike. First of all, what kind of bike did you get? And then where'd you go on that, on that benchmark ride? So to speak, uh, tell that story. That's yeah. Really yeah, so when I first, you know, decided to give this a try, I actually went out, I, I searched around, I did a bunch of um, research on like what kind of bike to get. And I was under the impression that I needed to get myself a hardtail because, you know, they're faster, better power transfer to that rear wheel. So, you know, like a lot of the record times on the Leadville course was done on a hardtail. So I was like, I guess I need a hardtail. So I went out and bought me uh, a bike. Uh, this was probably like, I don't know, September, October of that year. Um, it was uh, a Cannondale. And, uh, you know, I could talk more about that bike later, but I ended up selling it because it, it just didn't work for me. I was so unskilled on the bike, like adding that layer of like not having the full suspension just made matters so much worse right so that bike beat the heck out of me so i learned my lesson <laughs> that way but that was my first bike and my very first ride like quote unquote training ride i was so pumped up um i rode up st kevin's and i didn't even ride to like the road i drove my truck down there, and it's only like i live in town so <laughs> i don't know why i didn't ride to there but i was like oh, i'm not gonna ride any further i'll throw it in my truck and i rode down to the bottom of Kevin's and uh start riding up and uh 
I don't know. I don't think I could make it maybe a hundred yards or so. I still have the notes in my phone on how many times I had to stop going up that climb <laughs> because I'm so like diligent on like, okay, I had, and I think I had to stop 10 times. I want to say nine or 10 times. Wow. So my goal was like, okay, next time I do that climb, I'm going to only stop in eight times. Like that was my thought process at the time. Um, so yeah, going up St. Kevin's was terrible. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I thought I could at least like make it to the, th that's the first for people that know, know that's the first climb, um, of the, of the course, the Leadville course. Um, so I gave that a go. It was an epic failure. Um, <laughs> and I think it was in that moment when I realized like I need some structured training winter was coming too. So I knew I had to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the benchmark being like, you know, the basically like off the couch is probably appropriate in this case. And it, it's not that you were like unfit and just a couch dweller or something, but this is like, you're brand new to riding more or less, you know, this was, this was, yeah, absolutely. Thing. You knew how to pedal a bicycle, but more above that, not much else. No, not, not nothing else at all. <laughs> <laughs> so was that discouraging to you in the beginning or did it just like you said, did it just turn into motivation to find structure and you just went with that? Yeah, it was both. It was discouraging. Cause I thought, you know, I was more fit than that. <laughs> Right. But at the same time, you know, that, that will to like get better and get faster. And I knew I would, and I could, you know, how much faster could I get, you know, was unknown, but you know, the excitement of, okay, like it's time to, to train and to get faster and, you know, learn some skills was definitely in the back of my head. And I think that's what really got me going. So how'd you find trainer road after that, which is, this is the marketer in me is curious about that. And then like, you know, let's walk through the training process. We already know when you trained every day, but so how'd you find trainer road and then let's lay out the plan and see how you went through. Yeah. So like I said, I knew I needed some structured training. Um, and knew I needed to ride a lot indoors because, you know, in the winter time it's, it's not really that possible. Um, yeah. Leadville is extremely so, snowy for people that don't know it's, it's cold and high elevation, oh, yeah. lots of snow. Yeah. yeah. And the snow doesn't come off until like June. Yeah. Like right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of time on, uh, spent indoors over the winter. So, um, again, did some research. Um, my thought of an indoor bike was either like the Airdyne assault bike that we have in a crossfit gym or one of those like a uh, big what do you call those bikes in the gym with the big flywheel the spin bikes i yeah, guess yeah so that's what i thought i was gonna get but after doing some research i found out like what a trainer was and what a smart trainer was and how it can control your resistance straight from your phone so um yeah did some research there um uh, bought a used smart trainer and then uh from there found out that you can do you know run some programs off of this trainer through your phone so started to do some research there and do some comparison there um and yeah trainer road was a no-brainer for me i just loved the structure um to it um no offense to any other programs but i didn't really care about flashy stuff or you know, any of that, you know, music that pumps you up. I just cared about the numbers. I'm so data driven. I wanted to see on paper, like what that progression looks like, um, you know, what those intervals look like and how that adaptation happens both through the program and how that would directly relate to my body. So, uh, yeah, uh, bought a year subscription to trainer road at the time and just fell in love. Um, Honestly, I still love training indoors, like hitting those power targets still to this day. It's like so fulfilling. I love riding outside too, but uh, there's something about like hitting, the, it's like hitting a new one rep max back squat in the gym or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I got trainer road. Um, my first ramp test, I think that was November um, of that year, 2018. I think my score was 156, I want to say, my mm -hmm. uh, threshold, which at the time I was so um, 
I wouldn't say upset, but I was, <laughs> I was listening, like binge listening to all the Trader Road podcasts at the time and hearing about like 300 watt FTPs for like an average Joe is fast yeah. and 400 and above for pros is fast. So here I am coming in at 156, and I was so like sad about that. Um, <laughs> we can be better with but, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 totally. Well, the thing is, like, I felt like, yeah, maybe I don't have much endurance, but a 20-minute ramp test—that's like a typical CrossFit wad. And I feel like I was strong at the time. I was, I think, 195 pounds at the time. So I thought I'd at least have a decent FTP, but that wasn't the case. It's all. <laughs> all about specificity, right? Like it's whatever you're working yeah. on goes from there. So it, 156 FTP granted that's up at 10,000 feet cause you're in Leadville. So that would be roughly mm -hmm. to about 181, uh, FTP if you're down at sea level roughly. So that puts you at 1.8 Watts per kilogram up at Leadville. And then roughly, I think, uh, I think that that's, so that's where you started. That's like the starting point. Um, and then, uh, what plans did you follow, uh, throughout the whole thing? And then did you have to make any adjustments or did you have any unexpected challenges with that whole process? Yeah. So I'm not sure how to recommend this to anyone right now, but okay. <laughs> I immediately jumped into sweet spot, high volume. Um, <laughs> and like I said, I was 195 pounds. I immediately started eating as clean as possible i was intermittent fasting because i wanted to drop weight at the same time so it was a struggle like i'm not gonna lie <laughs> putting in two hour days every morning and all while being in a caloric deficit all winter was not fun but like i said i was motivated i was determined to you know be as fast as i can possibly be I hate looking back and thinking, oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. So I was like, I had tunnel vision at the time. Um, mm. So yeah, jumped immediately into a sweet spot. Um, and then went from there to, uh, I guess it was uh, sustained power yep. um, build, high volume. And then jumped into the century plan, um, high volume again. And that would have put me, I think it was probably springtime around that time. And I had dropped, oh, gee, in 30, 35 pounds, maybe. So wow. 160-ish and 165. Um, and was, that, was the majority of so, that like muscle mass that you, had, that you had accrued through like the CrossFit training, or did you lose body fat as well? Do you know? I lost everything, Jonathan. Man. <laughs> it, my watch, I had to drop like two or three links on my watch. Wow. My wife thought I was, you know – fizzling away on her um you can see it in my face and everything <laughs> now i just look normal but yeah i think a little bit of everything um i definitely lost some muscle mass because a lot of my benchmark um strength stuff went down but not as much as i thought in terms of pound for pound i was actually a little bit stronger in the springtime hmm. with um things like my you know squats and, and deadlifts and stuff like that hmm. um so it went down but when you relate it to my my body weight at the time, I didn't get that much, that much weaker. Um, so yeah, um, I want to say, like you said, I think it was 1.8 uh, watts per kilo. And I want to say maybe not the spring, but come race day, I almost doubled it, I think. Um, yeah, I think you were at 3.6. Yeah, yeah, 3.6. Um, <laughs> yeah all that weight loss of then you know i still made those gains and i knew I, it was possible to do that simply because like i was so new to the sport i knew i'd even if i'm losing weight i, I knew I'd, I'd have big gains just because i'm so so new um mm. and i wouldn't you know plateau right away so yeah that's what i did um got as fast as i can possibly be lost as much weight as i can possibly lose uh, then springtime summertime rolls around and uh actually bought a scott spark at the time um around that time from a friend of mine because i realized the hardtail wasn't going to work so started training outside mostly at that time um and yeah learned how to ride a bike outside as opposed to just being stationary inside <laughs> it's a different <laughs> which had world. struggles as well <laughs> oh completely different 
Yeah. My training partner friend, um, you know, he's kind of like you, ex moto cross guy. He's so skilled. And uh, so he taught me a lot. Um, he's still like way faster than I am, at least descending. Um, we're both about even climbing. But uh, yeah, so picked his brain as much as I can and uh, learned how how to ride outside. <laughs> that's impressive. So you went uh, up to a 260 FTP. That's at 10,000 feet, which would put you just over 300 down at sea level, roughly. So, and that's in basically in the space of eight months. So that's high. And you followed high volume all throughout with, uh, with all three of those training phases, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is really impressive. So that's basically what plan builder would lay out for you if you were going through. And of course it would adjust the durations of everything and change it up depending on the time that you have. But it's like, that's super, super impressive. And yes, like the training is key to doing it. And you said you needed structure, but th- that's like hugely commendable to all the dedication that you went through because it's a big shift. Like endurance training had to have been a big change for you. Like, did you find it? You mentioned that it was hard to do it in the mornings, everything else, but what other obstacles did you come across in your training that made it difficult for you to, to carry on Did you end up clearly you pushed through them, but what did you come across? Yeah. Um, I was always tired. <laughs> um, cause I'd ride in the mornings, early in the mornings, uh, then I'd actually commute to work too, which is only a couple miles, um, downhill in the morning going back home. It was uphill. So that was you know, a little bit harder. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I was always tired. I had to, you know, shift my schedule around, try and get to bed like eight, nine o'clock, uh, which, uh, isn't great for family life. I, uh, I would say, um, because that, you know, just shortens my time with them. So that, that definitely was a struggle, but my wife, she's awesome. So, uh, she, uh, was all all in as I was all in. Um, always tired, always hungry, which was in part in just you know not eating as much as I I normally would eat. But on the flip t- side of, to that, I was eating super clean, basically following a pretty strict paleo diet. And uh, even though I was hungry a lot, I actually felt pretty good. Um, you know, my body really adjusted to to that type of diet and that type of, of lifestyle. Um, I was still lifting a little bit in the evenings just to try and keep my strength on, uh, up as much as possible. Um, how did you adjust yeah, that? I mean, did you, a- did you back it down in terms of your strength training? Like, a, like, like from where, where were you before endurance training with your strength training in terms of like how much work you did to what you did mm-hmm. once you actually started incorporating the training plan? Yeah, I was at the gym. I was a gym rat, so I was there every day um, doing that stuff. And when I started cycling um, in the mornings, um, I would probably still hit the gym maybe three times tops. Um, I'd still coach a little bit in the evenings, so I'd go and coach a class and then just, you know, do a quick squat session or, or, you know, throw in some deadlifts or something like that. Um, it was more just maintenance. Um, I wasn't trying to get any stronger. I knew I wasn't going to, um, but in my head at the time, I just felt like my body is making this huge shift from strength to endurance. So I wanted to still like remind my body that like, I, you know, still want to be strong. Um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I don't know how well that worked, but, uh, yeah, I feel still felt you know, fairly strong throughout. So a uh, couple areas I want to cover before we get into your race day of Leadville. Number one, uh, on the, the, so we, we know that you optimized your equipment. You went for the full suspension bike. It was the better choice for you. Uh, in terms of skills, was there anything in particular that really helped you accelerate your learning curve with learning this, the mountain bike skills that you needed for the race? Yeah. Um, my biggest weakness was descending, man. I, I rode my brakes all the time. Like I didn't know what not squeezing the brakes was. (laughs) So that, and like cornering was a huge, 
um, issue for me and still kind of is. Um, so I just tried to hone in on that as much as possible. Um, you know, and I try to do some simple, you know, figure eight stuff like that out in the driveway. Um, just little things like that to try and help, you know, try and strengthen those weaknesses while still maintaining my strength, which at the time was just pure fitness, just climbing. Like I can climb, um, you know, especially anything smooth, like a fire road, anything like that. Like I had no problems, mm. but anytime you throw in some loose terrain, um, you know, anytime you throw in some steep descents or, you know, fast cornering, I just, I didn't know what to, to do um, there. So I just spent as much time outside as, as possible, to be honest, um, just to get, I knew I wasn't going to get, you know, I wasn't going to be perfect at those skills, but I just wanted to feel comfortable, I guess, um, mm -hmm. at the time. So I just spent as much time as I can outside, um, you know, especially on that course, I wanted to know, you know, what was coming up, what I needed to do to, to, to prepare myself, um, you know, for, for the, the course itself. Um, so yeah, just, just right outside <laughs> putting in your reps, right? Yeah. Just making sure that you're getting the time yeah. that you need in that environment and with Leadville in particular, it's often like, I think that nutrition plays a massive role in that race. Any long race it does. Um, how did you train yourself going from a paleo diet? How did you train yourself to take in nutrition on the bike? Cause it's also not very common in the middle of a CrossFit wad to choke down some food, right? Like it's like, that's not really part of it. Not so, at all. Yeah. So how did you train yourself to eat on the bike? What did you end up eating? And then we can probably transition right into Leadville from there, from what you did on race day. Yeah. So that was tricky because you know, all winter long, I didn't eat on the bike simply because I was trying to lose weight. Um, so I didn't even train myself, like my gut to, to take in gels or any of that liquid nutrition or anything like that. Not until, gosh, it's probably late spring when I realized, okay, I'm at like my race weight. Like this is where I want to be. It's time, time to like, start training my gut as much as possible so um yeah try different things um wasn't a huge fan of like the gels um but i didn't mind the i ended up using the the morton products for the race um mainly the the liquid nutrition and then you know i took in a few gels some of those waffle like cracker things that that they make um mm -hmm. but primarily it was all mostly in the bottle and uh for race day i think i ended up taking in oh it was probably about 20 ounces of water an hour uh 400 calories an hour and about 80 to 90 at times up to 100 grams of carbs um, per hour and I wasn't quite sure how my stomach was going to handle that because I haven't, you know, I, I started to train my stomach for that shorter rise, but never anything like that. Mm. So I had no idea how my body would respond, but I really didn't have any issues. The only issue I had with eating was at one point I thought I might want some real food. Mm. So uh, at one of the feed zones, I had my wife give me, it was like a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Mm -hmm. And FYI, peanut butter is not a good <laughs> thing to take in when you're writing. It took me <laughs> like 10 minutes to get half that sandwich down because it was so dry. Yeah. And I was trying to climb and like breathe through my nose because I couldn't get any air in my mouth. So that was like a disaster. But for the most part, I stuck with, you know, the nutrition in the bottle and uh, really didn't have any issues at all. I, I, I finished the day somewhat uh empty <laughs> on yeah. fumes but that was kind of the plan kind of the goal i didn't want to stop at carter i just wanted to blow through that and you know sip on the little bit of water that i had left and 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 finish strong so so your yeah, goal nutrition uh was good went well it's impressive uh and smart of you to like make that observation beforehand be like all right and where i 
I'm, I'm this is a fine weight that I need to be for race weight. Now it's time to start focusing in on the nutrition dialing in. So that's smart. Mm-hmm. Your goal was to go sub 12, uh, right? That was like the main goal. That was the original plan. Yeah. Did that change once, leading up to it? <laughs> it did only because I had no idea where I was um, until the 100 was actually my second race. I ended up doing the silver rush in July because I thought, well, maybe I'll give that a shot. If I can move up a corral or two, that'd be great. Cause at the time I was slotted for the very last white corral. So I did that race. Um, and that race went a lot better than I thought. That's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm faster than I thought. And under 12 is more than doable. And sub nine is I'm borderline sub nine at that time because I I ended up looking at racers who finished around me in that race for the 50. And uh, like I said, I'm such a nerd when it comes to this stuff. So I like took all the, you know, 20 at or riders that finished around me in that race, you know, looked at their history, see if any of them did Leadville. So I looked back at their Leadville times and they're anywhere between like 850 and 920. So I, so I thought, you know, I, if I'm close to these guys, then I'm probably close to that, that sub nine. So I just went for it when I started to plan and prep and you know, type out everything I wanted for my, my cruise. I just went with the finish of eight fifty nine fifty nine. That was <laughs> what I had down. Here's where I'm going to be at this time. Here's what I want. Here's what questions I want you to ask me. I had, I had everything labeled and bags. It was smart down to the, to the T. <laughs> yeah. So you, and then your family supported you or did you have others on the course supporting you? And then which aid stations did they, did they, were they at for you? Yeah. Friends and family. Um, my buddy that I ride with all the time, his family came out. So we kind of shared aid stations, which worked well, but we didn't realize how, close we were in time so we got to each aid station pretty much at the same time every time wow Um, so that was kind of a mess like oh here are both of our riders and trying to take care of both of us at the same time but we were still (laughs) pretty fast uh we had two feed zones one at uh pipeline and then one at the uh twin lakes alternate yeah that's a Um, smart one to be at i think better than twin lakes yeah i really like it yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, both, I stopped, you know, a total of four times, I guess, both inbound and outbound. Like I said, I had everything there that I wanted stuck with the plan with the hydration, nutrition, um, you know, salt pills. I had everything, you know, written down and I just stuck with it regardless of how I felt. That's impressive. I, I knew what I needed to do and, and, and went with it. Way to go. Uh, so your time is eight twenty three thirteen. Like you blew your time out of the water. And for anybody, I know that, you know, nine is known as the big belt buckle time, but going sub nine is extremely hard. The fact that you did this in like nine months is just incredible. Um, it just speaks to the importance of diligence meeting proper structure. Right. But like the diligence key of like not missing workouts, like you said, just, you know, you don't miss, like you just, you make sure that you hit your marks. That was, it's gotta be key. What did you learn on race day that surprised you? Like, were there any hard times, uh, that you came across, uh, throughout the day on, on at Leadville? Yeah, I actually learned the most from the silver rush. Um, mm. I quickly learned that it takes a long time to ride 50 miles so there's no need to sprint (laughs) um, at the sound of the gun so i learned you know a lot from that race and applied that to you know the hundred and you know raced within my means and stuck with you know what i was i knew i was capable of I, i i really slowed myself down going up columbine um and it 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 worked out well because i was actually on pace just barely under nine when I reached the pipeline inbound. Mm-hmm. I think I made up the most time from that point back to town going up Sugarloaf. That's why I passed the most people. And I really think 
it was because I, I, you know, stayed within my means prior to that point. Mm-hmm. I knew from listening to you guys and Fatty's podcasts and, you know, as much information that I can get, I knew that that's where most people start to, to blow up, you know, going up power line and, and going over Sugarloaf. So I tried to save as much, you know, in the tank as I can for that. And that's kind of where I, I, I put on the gas. Um, so, yeah. And I just learned like race day brings out the best in you and people, you know, um, I, I didn't know what I was capable of, um, until you just get out there and race. So, you know, if there's one thing I can share with other people is to, you know, sign up, do something, you know, just getting outside and, and, and riding is fun, but, you know, signing up for a race and doing something like that, you know, really makes you realize what you're capable of and, and what you can accomplish because it brings out, you know, the, the best in you. you, you enter this state of mind where like, you feel like you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. I way to go, uh, on putting out that, that awesome goal and sticking with it. Some key things that I find in your, in your experience. Number one is that like you relied upon structure. Number two, that you were absolutely diligent. That that's, I mean, the, the biggest factor right there, who cares how good the plan is if you aren't diligent. Um, and then on top of that as well, like you collected as much information as possible, you, you know, listening to, to our podcast, of course, like with Nate's experience and everything else and us talking about what we screwed up that day and also listening to yeah. Elvin's podcast. I and mean, you're lucky in the sense that Leadville itself has a lot of information about it. Also a lot of misinformation too from, from folks, but, uh, so getting as much information and then on race day, you know, having a good plan and sticking to it, it's uh, simple stuff, but really making that simple stuff happen every day is the hard part and you did it. And that's the impressive thing. That's why I think you're so successful. So way to go, man. Uh, super impressive. I actually, we, you came up and introduced yourself after the race. And when you told me your story, I was like, cause I was pretty foggy brained after that long day too. Cause I had just finished and I was like, and yeah. coach Chad was with me when we were walking away. He was like, did he really say that he started nine months ago? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. Like <laughs> it didn't compute, you know? So, uh, wait, it's just massively impressive, uh, for anybody that's done Leadville, they'll know how fast an eight twenty three is. So, so way to go, man. Um, what, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. What advice would you have just in general, other than of course, like, you know, anything else that you've already provided, but is there any additional advice that you want to give to somebody that is either prepping for Leadville in particular or some big event like that? What advice would you give folks? Yeah, kind of what you said, you know, put in the work, you know, make sure you're resting, recovering, you know, follow some structured training. You know, I I really don't think you need to, and I know you preach this too, but get out there and do 10 hour days or anything like that. Just, just focus on, on increasing that fitness. Um, And uh, yeah, just, just doing as much, you know, research as you can. Um, you know, if you could get up to this elevation or even close, do it because it's not the same. <laughs> you know, I'm fortunate enough to live here, so I'm kind of used to it and, and it's not that big of a deal, but I know it's a big deal, especially for those that are coming from super low elevation like sea level. Um, try and get up as high as you can and, and know what, what that feels like. Um, so, yeah, that and... You know, I think it's important to have, you know, people that, you know, surround you, whether it's friends or family or, you know, books that you read or people that you follow that influence you um, to give you sort of that extra oomph to kind of, you know, motivate you and, and, you know, keep you accountable for your goals and your dreams. Awesome. Way to go, man. Uh, super inspiring stuff. Also, you've entered the Leadville 100 challenge, the hundred K challenge that they have right now. And you are absolutely crazy because you're riding Leadville, I think every week, uh, which is just nuts. So you're riding the Leadville course on the weekends. Uh, super impressive. Have you learned anything about the course after riding it this many times that, that you'd want to share with <laughs> us? <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, that was not my idea. 
That was my crazy <laughs> friend's idea. The same friend that thought of Everesting on Columbine, um, <laughs> which he succeeded and I failed. That's crazy. Um, so yeah, he comes up with all the crazy ideas and I just go with it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, once a week we did the math. And if you do it every week for the eight weeks of the challenge, uh, it comes right out to about a hundred thousand feet of um, gain. Um, it's fun, but it every time, man, every time I'm pedaling up Columbine, I think, why am I doing this? This is stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, we like it because, you know, honestly, you learn something new about the course every time you ride it. Um, I mean, down to the, like rocks, you know, oh, I know where that rock is. I'm avoiding that line. I'm going with this line today. So, you know, course familiarity is, is a big, big thing. Um, so hopefully I can, you know, take that into next year and uh, be able to ride the course with my eyes closed. Maybe who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. Well, that's awesome. David, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Are you on social media or anything? Um, I don't do a whole lot of social media. I'm on Strava. You can just search me out, David Curtis. Um, you can find me by seeing the uh, Leadville 100 course within the last seven days. If you see that, then, then that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, cool. We'll put the link down to David's Strava profile in the description below. Thanks a bunch, man. And thanks everybody for listening to this one or tuning in on YouTube as well. Uh, once again, you can subscribe to this podcast and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode. They come out every Monday. And if you want to be, a, uh, on the successful athletes podcast, uh, first, just let us send us an email, uh, at Jonathan at trainerroad.com and let us know the key criteria we're looking for, how you've used trainer road to accomplish whatever success, uh, you have accomplished. And that doesn't have to be a win or anything else. And then just let us know the story behind it. And, uh, it'd be exciting to have, uh, to have you on. So thanks again, man. And hopefully we'll see you at Leadville, obviously not this year, but hopefully next year, uh, it'd be fun. I, I think that some folks from the office are planning on doing it and I'm totally planning on being there to crew. So that'll be a blast and hopefully we'll see you then. And yeah, thanks for the inspiration. I'm, I want to go train after listening to this. So thanks, man. Huh, thank you. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Talk to you soon.